Okay, good morning. All right, uh, a couple more little plugs. Men's breakfast is this, uh, this Saturday, and I encourage you guys to come. Um, we have a, a guest speaker, and he is one of the ministry leaders at CCV, which is Christ Church of the Valley. And, you know, there's an interesting thing that's going on in American church in dealing with men, is that, I don't know, I don't, let's just be honest, they're just not excited about doing men's ministry. Um, and CCV is a big old mega church. They're the big boys on the block. They're over there. They have around 7,000 people that attend their weekend services. That's a, that's a big deal. So they have 7,000 people that attend. They had 40 guys that would show up to their men's breakfast. So we're doing really good compared to them. So um, we're, we're greatly encouraged. But they, they came to the conviction that this is a problem. Why aren't guys interested in doing ministry? What's the deal? And, uh, you know, they, they made some tweaks in leadership. They said, okay, uh, how about if we just hand this whole thing over to uh, just to guys in the church? This is, you know, pastors will be there just to, you know, poke in, but we're going to let the guys run with it. And they did something similar to what we're doing. They, they went through the Wild at Heart series, and then they encouraged their guys to go to the boot camp, and they started teaching on biblical manhood, and it changed everything. Now they have 200 guys, and before, when it was like, you know, 40 guys that were in their 60s and 70s, now it's 200 guys with young fathers and their teenage sons. Isn't that cool? And so uh, one of the guys is going to come and speak. Um, his name is Ryan. I had lunch with him. He's a great guy. He, he's, a, he's a Marine. He was a machine gunner. Uh, he, he drinks nitrous in the morning. This guy is just crazy. So you're going to love him. And he really has a heart for God. Uh, but he is, he's no holds bar. He's going he's gonna to challenge you guys. He's going to encourage you. It's going to be a great time. Let's come out for men's breakfast. It's going to be fun. Um, and then... This Wednesday, I want to invite you to our Alpha course. Uh, this, this Alpha is a, the bare basics of Christianity, but one of the sessions is on, does God still heal today, physically heal today? And um, they, they, yeah, yes, he does. That's, we, we don't need to teach about that. We just do it. And so um, we're going to do it. And if you, if you missed your opportunity to come up and receive prayer for healing, maybe you feel awkward or weird, I want to invite you to come this Wednesday night. And uh, it's, it's going to be open to anybody, even if you know, how many people know somebody that's struggling with pain? That, all right, this is your, this is your opportunity to invite them. Uh, invite them to, this is, it's going to sound weird when you say it, I want to invite you to my church healing service. And they're going to say, is that, is that kind of weird? And you're going to say, yeah, it's probably going to be a little weird. <laughs> but it might be worth it. You might get healed. You can put up with a little weirdness for a little while. Wouldn't it be worth it if you got healed? What do you have to lose? So uh, your friends, family, coworkers, whatever, if they're struggling with pain, invite them to a healing night. And uh, if, you, if you feel, if you're a part of the church family, the Granite Creek is my church family. I, I check that box off every once in a while on the bulletin. Um, and if you have a desire to pray for the sick, uh, I want to invite you to come as well. You have to be here at 6 o'clock. I need, to, I, I need to train you and instruct you on a couple of things on praying for the sick. And so if you want to do that, I want to encourage you to come out. Uh, but you've got to be here at 6. Uh, so it's going to be a great night. We'll have a time of ministry and worship, and I want to encourage you to come out. On that note, uh, we have a special testimony. Did you guys get your little rocks last week? All right. Uh, raise your hand if you, if you have a testimony, but we've got one coming up. Pastor, can you give it to Richard? Richard's got a little, he's got a little testimony for us, just a little one. Uh, recently, I went through a, a prostate cancer treatment, and uh, it's back in August, and since then, I've been through several tests that they went through, and every one has been, they haven't been able to find anything.
And recently, as of two weeks ago, they found a spot on my hip in the bone. And I went through a test on Tuesday this week. Praise God. <laughs> there was nothing there. And Monday, I'm meeting with three specialists. They just can't believe it. They just can't believe it. They just praise God. Praise God. Yeah. You know, it doesn't get better than that. Don't give up. Don't give up on your miracle. It could be tomorrow. It could be 15 years from now. Don't give up. The miracle's in the storm. Does anybody else have a little testimony they'd like to share with your little rock that, that we handed out last week? Anybody else want to share? Okay. Yeah. Sure. Praise, praise God. All right. Awesome. Lydia? Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you. All right. Yeah. Uh, her vitals are beautiful. We don't understand. So um, God is good, and I believe, truly believe that when when she goes home to be with him, she's going to be a free and in peace. And uh, I think that is happening with her body at the time. Cool. I'm like, no, she'll make it through this one too. And she did. <laughs> <laughs> All right, isn't that awesome? That's heaven. Heaven transforming families. Your body, culture, well, that's cool. All right, get your Bibles out, and we're going to look at Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1. We're in a series right now on you know, finding God's direction, specifically God's direction for the church. I want, to, I want everybody to know where we're headed and what we believe and what we do. Um, you know, our vision is to see transformed families 
and culture by heaven. Heaven, uh, transformation. I forgot the vision statement already. I should just like, I know. What is it, Kim? What is it again? Families and in, in, in culture transformed by heaven. That's what we'd like to see. That's our vision. And, and we just gave testimony what our vision is. And, and, and our mission, what we try to do, you know, what we're doing, we don't always do it well, but this is what we do. We, we want to do relationship and not religion. We want to snuff out religion. Anything that smells like religion, we want to get rid of it. We want to engage in a personal relationship with God and with each other. And it, it, that's, that's, our, that's what we try to do the best. And, uh, and so today, we're going to be talking about our convictions, our convictions of, as a church. And I'm going to challenge you about your own personal convictions. Now, everybody has personal convictions. And the tendency, the problem is that we often compromise on our own convictions. We often make up excuses as to why we you know, we, we did something that, that went contrary to our convictions. Like the classic example is, um, you know, we, we, everybody holds a conviction that stealing is wrong, right? Everybody believes that. Yet, you know, we don't have a problem stealing our boss's toilet paper. And we'll justify it. We'll justify it by saying, well, he doesn't pay me what I'm worth. And, you know, I clocked in all those hours that I didn't get paid for. Therefore, he owes me some toilet paper. And I'm going to take it. And, uh, and this is how we do it. This is how we, our minds work. We will, we will make excuses for compromising on our convictions. And so we're going to be looking at our church's convictions, and I'm going to challenge you about your convictions as well. Now, our church convictions, um, they're all kind of laid out. And the purpose for me to, to tell us what we hold true the definition of, of, of a conviction is a deep-seated belief into something that you can't see, into a value system that you can't see. And uh, it almost, when I talk about convictions, you could also say rules, or you could say law. And when I talk about, you know, okay, you got to follow our convictions, you got to follow the rules, you got to follow the law, it almost seems like it contradicts what our mission statement is. Our mission statement is, is relationship, not religion. And when you immediately, when you think about religion, you're thinking about the rules. So we're going to do, we're just going to, we're going to tweak a couple of things on how we perceive the word of God and how we see the law and how we ought to approach it and, and the value of it. And let's take a look at, uh, let's read this scripture on Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all of his commands, I will give you today, the Lord your God, will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves and the herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading through will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you with, with, from one direction and they will flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything that you put into your hands. The Lord will God will bless you in the land he is giving you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people, as he promised you on oath, if you could keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Okay, let's read, let's read Joshua. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Now do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. You meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified. Don't be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. This is, an, okay, I love the Deuteronomy part. I love Joshua too, but I love the Deuteronomy part because you're going to be blessed. 
Everything that you put your hands to, you're going to be blessed. Your, your, your barns, everything, your storehouses will be blessed. Your, your job will be blessed. You're going you're to be fruitful and multiply. And, and Joshua says the same thing. You know, I have called you. You just got to be strong. You have to be courageous, and then you're going you're gonna to be blessed. You're, gonna, you're going to prosper and be successful. That's what we all want, isn't it? How many, we want to be successful. How many people want to be a loser? <laughs> Any losers in here? You know, Beck wanted to be a loser. I'm totally dating myself. You know who Beck is? You know, he was, you know, he's a loser. Yeah, Beck. And then the Christians. I, Christians are so annoying sometimes. The Christians picked up on this. They, they, the Christians picked up on the Beck loser thing, and they made loser shirts, and then they put a scripture reference. I'm like, oh, don't wear that. Just don't wear that. But I'm a loser for Christ. I'm like, oh, that doesn't sound good. You're not. A, anyway. I, I understand the reference, but look, but the, the loser shirt, you just got it's not good. All right. But we want to be successful. And it's a promise. Now, here's the tough part, right? It's, it's conditional. What's it conditional upon? It's, a, it's conditional on obeying the rules, on, on meditating on the law. That sounds like religion to me. Day and night. Wow. Like, that's, that's tough. I tell you, it is tough. You might think to yourself, all of the laws? Yes, I want to be successful, but I don't know if I can obey all the laws to be successful and prosperous. You can't. It's impossible to obey all the laws. That's why Jesus came. And the, the problem that we have is that that we get ourselves into a, a legalistic mindset where we're like, okay, I've got to follow all the rules so God will bless me. And once we begin to live like that, we will feel the weight of the scriptures. And if you approach the scriptures from a legalistic mindset, okay, I have to follow all the rules, I don't have good news for you. I got some bad news for you because the Bible will break you. It's too heavy. It's going to kill you. If you approach the scripture with a legalistic mindset, I've got to follow all the rules, A, B, C, and D, in order to get into heaven, it's going to break you. But Josh, you just read, in order for me to be prosperous, I have to obey. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right, we'll get there. We'll get there. I mean, I'll, I'll, it'll make sense. If you pay attention, it's going to make sense. Now, our church has a set of deep-seated beliefs. We have a set of doctrine that, that are our, our convictions. It all stems from uh, our Trinitarian doctrine. Everything, is, everything in our convictions is based on the Trinity. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there needs to be a healthy balance out of all of those. When we, we, we approach God the Father with the knowledge that he is a loving father, it's a very difficult thing for a lot of people to do to relate to God as a loving father, especially when you've had maybe not a so loving father, where you've had a legalistic, judgmental, absentee father. It's hard. And I got good news. You have a loving father that wants to love you, and you have to have the knowledge of that. Maybe, maybe for some of you, that's your, that's your only take home today, is you're leaving this place with the knowledge that there is a heavenly father that loves me. That's how we ought to relate to God. Then there is his only begotten son, of the same substance, yet a completely different individual. Jesus is not the incarnation of God. Jesus is fully God, and he's fully man. But it wasn't like God, okay, think of God as Zeus, right? The beard, and he's sitting up in heaven. It's not like Zeus transformed into Jesus, right? Because that's what, that's what Zeus does, right? He transforms into human beings and, and hangs out with the ladies. Uh, that's what Zeus does. God does not do that. God doesn't do that. 
I, that, our Heavenly Father doesn't have the big beard and, and dictate, dictate things from, from the clouds. He is spinning universes off every second. He, is, he knows how many hairs that you have on your head and how many hairs that you don't have on your head. And he is, we can't comprehend God. We, we, we are so disconnected from our Heavenly Father, we don't understand him. And that's where Jesus comes in. He reconciles us to a heavenly, loving Father that we don't understand. That's why he came on in human form. And he is truth. Jesus came to the planet not to teach about truth, not to be a really great guru and, and spiritual guide. He didn't teach about truth. He says, I am truth. If you are searching for truth, and if you engage me, you have found it. And this is the, this is the relationship that we have with Jesus. Um, it is probably for our sake, probably the most one that we can relate to because Jesus was a human being. Sometimes I whine to God. Do you ever whine to God? You know, God, we've got this social problem. We've got this issue. It seems like there's no black and white answer. There's like some gray material in here. And it's really not fair, Jesus, that you're not here to answer this question to give us the truth about this issue. It's not fair. Have you ever done this? Jesus, I just wish you were here so you could just clear everything up. And when I caught myself whining to God about this issue, um, somebody like tapped me on the shoulder, like the Holy Spirit says, Son, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. And what Jesus said, he says, look, I am leaving the planet, and it is better for me to leave so that the Holy Spirit can do its work. There's the main misconception that we have in our Christian faith. I wish Jesus was here to answer these questions. Well, we have something better than Jesus right here, right now, and that is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And for some reason, uh, Holy Spirit is like the red-headed stepchild in this relationship with the Trinity. Like, you know, it's all about Jesus. We love Jesus. And, okay, maybe I understand the concept of an all-powerful, loving, heavenly Father God. What's this Holy Ghost thing? What's this? He's co-equal with the other two. He's his own individual person. If this is confusing you, we're going to be talking about it after Easter. We're going to do a whole series on the Holy Spirit. Because the ministry of the Holy Spirit is key and vital for us to engage God and actually to be empowered. You having problems with the gray areas of your life? The Holy Spirit is actually one of its, I hate to say this, it's probably not accurate, but one of the attributes of Holy Spirit is wisdom. Holy Spirit is referred to as wisdom. And knowledge is what things that are right and things that are wrong. It's information. It's things that you gather. But wisdom is being able to make the right decision when there doesn't seem to be the possibility of making the right decision. It is here to guide us. It is here to teach us how to read the scriptures well. And most people don't know how to read the scriptures well. But we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to read the scriptures and for it to lead to truth. And John 8 says, um, the spirit of truth will lead and guide you into all truth. Spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to lead you to the person of Jesus. Lead you to all truth, the person of Jesus. And Jesus will reconcile you to your creator, your heavenly father, the big giant guy. So these are the things that we hold dear. They are what we call our non-negotiables. This is our theology. It's non-negotiable. Jesus is God in the flesh. He was begotten by the Virgin Mary. Jesus is not myth. Jesus is not a wise guru that had some interesting teachings for humanity. He's the God-man. We, we get to God through him because of what he did on that on the cross. Grace. Grace. Grace broke the rule book for us to get into heaven. 
We have to incorporate that into our lives. So those are our, that's like a, those are our non-negotiable theological convictions. We also have moral convictions that are directly related to our Trinitarian doctrine. Our moral convictions. Uh, all right, for the sake of time, I'm going to give you, I'm going I'm to just make it real short because this is a lot to say. But we believe our deep-seated conviction that the moral conviction of sex is that it was made to be in the confines of marriage between a man and a woman. Not the most popular thing to say in the world. 90% of young people have had sex outside of marriage now. So if you have teenagers, if you have kids... The odds are against you, <laughs> so it's, it's a little frustrating, I know. But that's the reality of where we're living in. And there was a study that came out, not too long, just recently, um, where a college pastor, um, he, uh, he was sending his kids off, to his, his youth group off to college. They, they, would do a, you know, they would do a year in college, and then they would come back and visit the home church, and when they came back, they came back wrecked a little bit. They came back changed a little bit. And, um, you know, he would have coffee with his former students. You know, what's going on? Oh, you know, I'm not quite sure about my faith anymore. I'm not quite sure if I believe in this Jesus thing anymore and, and faith anymore. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah, it's like, you know... I took this class on anthropology, and, you know, they taught me evolution, and I took this philosophy class, and they taught me how to think a little bit differently, and you know, I took this ethics class, and, and that kind of tweaked me a little bit, and uh, I just don't buy it. I, don't, I, don't, I just don't buy the faith anymore. And you know what this pastor's response is? It's not, all right, well, let's you know, there's different ways that you could look at evolution. Well, well, there's different ways that, you know, that philosophy can actually validate, you know, the Christian faith. He didn't get apologetic in trying to defend the Christian faith and all these things. You know what he says? Who are you sleeping with? And these kids go, what? Who are you sleeping with? Uh, uh, how, how did you know I was sleeping with somebody? This is a wild guess. You see, when we compromise on our convictions, good little Christian kids that believe that, uh, you know, believe that sex outside of marriage is, is, is not God's plan for our life, good little Christian kids that compromise, that blow it, hmm? once they compromise, they do what we do when we steal toilet paper. They begin to make excuses. Instead of dealing with their fallenness, instead of dealing with their broken sexuality, they say, eh, you know what, God's not who he said he is, and evolution proves it. Ah, uh, you know what, truth is relative, and my philosophy teacher proves it. It's the easy way out, instead of actually dealing with actually what's really going on, which is a broken nature. And the approach... This pastor's approach, and this is, this is the biblical approach, this is Jesus' approach. Your kids are going to blow it. Your kids are going to fall morally. It's going to break your heart. You're going to blow it. You're going to fall morally, and it's gonna, it, it ought to break your heart. You have entire people groups that are blowing it. It ought to break your heart. Now, Okay, I'm just going to use your kids as an illustration. When your kids blow it, you can throttle them with the law. You can, you can go verse by verse. You can point out all, out all the scriptures that say why premarital sex is wrong. Like, big old truth cannon. Boom! You're wrong. I'm right. You're a loser. Boom! Hmm? Loser. You can do that. And you will be right. 
But you know what's going to save your kids? Grace. You, Jesus says this very clearly. He says, look, I am going <laughs> wrap your mind around this. I am going to forgive who you choose to forgive. So, you think about that. You think about that. Your kids might not experience God's grace unless you show it to them. I'm going to go here. The homosexual community might not know God's grace until we forgive them first. Until we show them grace. I'm not saying we compromise on our convictions. Ever. I'm going to read to you what happens when we compromise on our convictions. But grace is the thing that they need to see in our lives. It will save them. If you're sitting here and you're saved because of that, because of the work that was done on that, you've experienced God's grace. And, and it is your duty, your responsibility, if you are a believer, if you walk this walk with God, it is your duty to administer grace. You are a grace broker. For those of you that are business-minded, it is our obligation to broker grace. You received it. Who you choose to forgive, God's going to forgive. God's going to work in their life. It's as if you're praying for them. If you decide to focus on their sin and their negativity and how bad they are, they're going to continue in that path. If you say, okay, God, give me the ability to forgive them. Give me the ability to show grace and to include them and to love them into this relationship and not religion. It's not only transformation, it's the seeds of revival. It will break not only strongholds in your family, it will break strongholds in your own personal life. The ability to express grace. So those are our moral convictions. Sex outside of biblical marriage is not God's plan for our life. That's just one of them. There's other ones. If you, if you have any questions about what some of the other ones are, email me. I don't have time to talk about them today, obviously. But we also have uh, uh, social convictions. Social convictions. Jesus says, I'm sorry, Paul says, pure and undefiled religion meets the needs of widows and orphans. I'm going to rephrase it. Pure and undefiled relationship with God meets the needs of widows and orphans. We have, there's kids that don't have enough food in our own country. It's, our, it's the church's responsibility to meet their needs. It's not the government's. It's actually our, it's our responsibility to do that. Around the world, it's our responsibility to meet the needs of people that are poor that are hungry, that are starving. If we don't do that, then we're not church. So that is one of our deep-seated convictions. That is why kid care is so important. That is why, honestly, that's the only reason why we're trying to raffle off a really nice Corvette. It's because we are after this, we are in, on top of this mountain of entertainment, and we want to multiply your money. Your, your tithe money. We're going to multiply it. We're going to, your tithe money that you've given, we're going to take it in the natural, we're going to move it in the supernatural, and we're going to take people's beer money to feed kids. Dead serious. A uh, pastor was raffling off his Corvette, and uh, I should, uh, I, uh, I'll have him tell the story some other day, but, you know, every other word is, is, is a really naughty word. It's like the queen mother of all swear words. And, um, and, and my dad asks him, he says, look, and the guy says, what are, you do, what are you doing this for? He's like, well, you know, I'm raffling this car off so I can feed kids. Why are you doing that? You know, really bad attitude, right? And he's like, well, if I asked you for $100 to feed kids, would you give it to me? You know, blank no, right? Um, 
but if I gave you a chance to win this money, would you give me, with this, this car, would you give me $100? Yeah. And do you care what I do with the money after that? No. It's like, okay, well, then give me your beer money. True story. So we took guy, some guy's beer money, and we're going to use it to save kids. Multiplying, right? I think that's awesome. All right. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, yeah, it doesn't count as tithe money. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Tithe, your money didn't buy the car, by the way. Um, yeah, we're going to be going to Vegas with your tithe money. Um, no, it didn't. There was a guy that did that. You know, let's say it the Lord. Let's take the money to Vegas. I'm serious. It happened. It didn't turn out too well, as you can imagine. Um, yeah, uh, there was a, this desire to finance the car was put on the heart of, a, of one individual. I'll, buy, I'll, buy, uh, I'll finance the car. Let's do it. That's it. So, yeah, you didn't. We're not, we're not doing that with your money. Sorry. Um, so, undoing the works of the devil, which he loves to oppress people in poverty. Widows. Uh, widows don't really translate into our society today. In the ancient world, if you were a widow, uh, you had no property, you had no income, you had nobody protecting you, you, you were useless. You had, absolute, you had no, no access to justice. You were on the lower rung of the social ladder, and you had nobody to represent you. You had nobody to fight for you. Nowadays, widows in this country, a widow can be prosperous. A widow can own her own business. A widow can make it. Uh, single moms can make it in this country. Uh, so it doesn't apply. But the key, the biblical principle, is justice. Who in your life is not receiving justice? And God is all about justice. I want to tell you, he's all about justice. He actually says, uh, if justice doesn't prevail, my kingdom can't flourish on earth. So the lack of justice. So if there's unjust behavior uh, going on in your family, maybe there's abuse in your family. Heaven can't transform that because it hasn't been given over to God. If there is injustice going on in the business that you run, Heaven can't get involved and transform that culture either. Because what you're saying is, I determine what justice is, and, I, and I'm going to bend the rules to my will, and I'm going to abuse people. I'm going to abuse people that can't defend themselves. The unborn can't defend themselves. That is another conviction that our church holds. Grace. 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 God is here to heal. He's here to say, look, I want you to take a look at this instead of making excuses, and I'm here to heal you. I'm here to transform the situation. I forgive. I forgive. All right. Shall we keep going? All right, where was I? Okay, so uh, do we have some other things that we call uh, non-negotiables? Uh, these are our, these are our non-negotiables because they, they are in line with the Trinitarian doctrine. They are in every point in the scriptures from Old Testament to New Testament. They are key. You have to have them in order to, to hold to Trinitarian doctrine. Here's some that, that don't matter as much, that aren't that big of a deal, but they might be an interesting point of conversation. The interesting point of conversation that we can have is creation. Creation in this house is a negotiable. There are some evangelical Christians that believe that the earth was, is 4,000 years old and that it was created in seven literal days. There's other evangelical Christians that believe that the earth is 5,000 years old and was created in seven literal days. There's other evangelical Christians that believe in the gap theory. 
that there, that there was a one 24-hour period before the day two, there was a million years gap in between. There's some evangelical Christians that believe uh, that one year is actually millions of years because there was no sun and moon to measure time and space yet. So we don't know what a 24-hour period is. So who knows how old the earth is? These are really interesting points of conversation. I would love to talk to you about them someday, but they really don't matter. They are not worth fighting over. And if anybody fights about these things, and if it causes division, then we're going to have a problem. It's not worth fighting over. Just as uh, when the earth was created isn't worth fighting over, uh, when the earth is going to end, which is another extremely hot topic, is not worth fighting over either. Either. Pre-tribulation rapture, mid-tribulation rapture, post-tribulation rapture. Is he coming back at all? We don't, it's not worth arguing about. He is coming back. We don't know when. He's very, he said, look, no one knows the day or the time when I'm running to return, when I'm going to take you off the planet. We don't know. I'll give you some signs. There's going to be some earthquakes. Oh, great. Um, <laughs> there's going to be some earthquakes. There's going to be some political unrest. Oh, geez. Um, Look, it could be tomorrow. It really could be. Would I be surprised? No. Am I going to be disappointed? No, I don't care. I'm good to go. <laughs> we can have a fun intellectual conversation about the return of Jesus. We're not going to fight about it. I'll probably say, okay, yeah, you win. You, you studied it more than I did. Have at it. But it doesn't really matter. You know, there's always somebody smarter than you. And so, again, you are, do I have an opinion on this? I think it's changed a couple times. Um, I just know he's coming back. And um, my grandfather was convinced, like convinced that, he, that Jesus was coming back in his lifetime. He had charts. <laughs> he had a big, giant wall chart. It was awesome. I'm like, oh, man, I'm 13 years old. I don't this is not a good deal for me, Grandpa. And he's like, <laughs> and he looked at me like, oh, yeah, you're right. Sorry, son. It doesn't matter. Hmm? I know it sounds like a contradiction to say, look, we want relationship, not religion, and we expect you to follow the rules. We expect you to follow our, our convictions or you're out of here. And you might be thinking to yourself, yeah, I want to be prosperous. I want to be successful. I'm going to follow the rules. And again, like I said, it's going to break you. It's too much to bear. The weight of the law, Paul says it clearly, the law kills, the spirit heals. So how do we do it? How in the world do we be people of the book yet have this, this relationship and this freedom, this love of God. Do you know who did it? David. He had, this guy was amazing. He had this New Testament revelation in, in the Old Testament. That's why Jesus is in his lineage, probably. I'm not quite sure, but he did it. There is not a whole lot of difference between David and Saul, by the way. It was an attitude of the heart that they had. They both blew it big time. They both had major issues. But David was able to tap into a secret where he understood how to read the scriptures well. And we're going to look at what he did. Okay, so Psalms 19. And I'm going to read Psalms 19 out of the message version. That's another negotiable for us, by the way. Um, Bible versions aren't worth fighting over. Even the message paraphrase. Did you guys hear about that guy that got shot in the bus and the Bible hit, hit or the bullet hit his Bible? You know what version it was? The message. So I guess God's okay with the message 
paraphrase. So maybe we can quit calling it a paraphrase and just call it a, ver a version, okay? If God's okay with it, we ought to be okay with it too. I, I, I remember one time I read out of the message, and uh, I, I had somebody walk out of the church because I wasn't the King James. King James is actually my favorite because I think it has a, a powerful command of the language. Um, but listen to this. Uh, we're going to start at verse 7. Uh, 1 through 6 is actually amazing. 1 through 6 talks about the glory of creation. God communicates to us non-verbally through creation. He did it to me this morning when I was driving up here. I was blown away by the mountains. This is, this is how God communicates to us, nature. And whether they admit it or not, atheists get communicated to by God through nature. That's why they're always going camping. It's, it's, <laughs> it's their temple. We are wired to have God communicate to us. They don't realize it, but God's communicating to them. It makes them feel good. So it's, it's actually beautiful. So read it. But it's, it's God's nonverbal communication. But God is so cool, he knows how we're wired, that he gave us verbal communication as well in the scriptures. And this is how David perceives it. The revelation of God is whole and pulls our lives together. The other translation says, the law. The law is refreshing and rejuvenates the soul. All right, did you catch that? The law rejuvenates and refreshes the soul. In the message, it says it pulls our lives together. The signposts of God are clear and point out the right road. The life maps of God are right, showing the right way. You don't know which way to go? Get the life map. God's reputation is 24 karat gold with a lifetime guarantee. The decisions of God are accurate down to the nth degree. God's word is better than a diamond, better than a diamond set between emeralds. You'll like it better than strawberries in spring, better than red, ripe, delicious strawberries. There's more. God's word warns us of danger and directs us to hidden treasure. That's the benefit of reading the book. Directs you to hidden treasure. Otherwise, how are we going to find our way? Or know when we are playing the fool. Clean the slate, God, so that we can start the, fresh, the day fresh. Okay, here we go. You ready? Keep me from stupid sins. Shall we repeat that? Keep me from stupid sins. Um, in the other version, it says, David says, keep me from the sins that I don't see. Keep me from the hidden sins. Do you know the problem with you and the problem with me is that we don't see our own problems. Like we have hidden sin. We have hidden issues. We're broken, and a lot of times we don't see it. David was smart enough and honest enough to know that he was broken. And he said, look, God, I'm broken. Keep those things from getting me. And then he says, and keep me from willful sins. Those are the sins of the flesh. He didn't do too good because David liked himself some ladies, <laughs> right? But look, this is, this is an honest letter, right? Keep me from stupid sins. That's awesome. All right. From thinking that I can take over your work. Right there. David says, I'm not God, you are. This is the hardest thing that we have to do. Uh, the kingdom of God is not a democracy. You, we live in a democracy right now. And we get to vote on stuff. That's cool. That's the best thing that our world has ever experienced. But in the kingdom of heaven, it's a monarchy. And you have to allow God to boss you around. And you cannot replace him. Like, you might have a chance. You might have a chance to be president of this great democracy, this republic. You can't do that in heaven. God's got to boss you around. 
David is honest enough to see that. Then I can start this day sun-washed, scrub clean of the grime of sin. These are the words in my mouth. These are what I chew on and pray on. I accept them when I place them on the morning altar. Oh God, my altar rock. God, my priest of my altar. All right. Um, this, what David describes here when he's talking about the law, when he's talking about the rules, when he's talking about convictions, the way that he approaches it, I can't teach this. The Bible also says that David had a heart after God. I can't teach that either. This is something that, uh, that conscious, being able to change, transform your conscious person. Government can't do that. Politics can't do that. If you think that the political system is telling you and your kids how to feel and how to act morally, you're wrong. The institution of church can't even do that. The only thing that can dictate your conscious and your, your transformation of your conscious person is the Holy Spirit. That's it. This is why we are focused on a balanced approach to our Trinitarian doctrine. And we decided not to let the Holy Spirit be the redheaded stepchild, that we we're going to make room for him to move in our number. Because, again, I could get my truth cannon out every single Sunday and I could boom, blow you away. Boom. Boom. You guys are losers. <laughs> you just straighten up and follow the rules. Or, as a, as a church family, not just me and pastor and our leaders, but as a church family that does relationship and not religion, we cultivate an atmosphere and an environment where the Holy Spirit wants to do its work. Where people that are broken can come in and they can feel the encouraging presence of the Holy Spirit, the convicting, restorative graciousness of the Holy Spirit, and they can be transformed from the inside out instead of being objectively transformed. My, uh, one of my great close pastor friends, uh, he's done a lot of ministry in our church, Christian Garcia. Uh, he's actually in the same situation. He's just, he has just uh, moved up uh, into the senior role at, at Spirit of Joy Church in Upland. And um, his, you know, they're reworking some of the way that they word stuff too. And, and their mission is to camp around the presence as a family. I like that so much, I just might steal it. <laughs> to camp around the presence of God. Everything will flow, if it's done right, it's a scary thing because it's a subject. It's a, it's a, it's a, I'm, I need some water. It's a subjective thing. John eight, the Spirit of Truth will lead you to all truth. The Spirit of Truth will lead you to all truth. Okay, I got one more verse, and I'm going to wrap it up. This is in Isaiah, chapter 33, verse 22. For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, it is he who will save us. Right? Lawgiver, judge, king, it is he who will save us. 23. Your rigging hangs loose. Your mast is held your mast is not held secure. Your sail is not spread. 
Then the abundance of spoils will be divided, and even the lame will carry off the plunder. There's a, there's a pattern here. This is written poetically. Oh, Jennifer, thank you. There's a pattern here. The Lord is judge, the Lord is lawgiver, the Lord is king, he saves. Your rigging is loose. It's not held secure. Your mast isn't secure. And your sail is not spread. You know how we read, uh, how we read Deuteronomy and Joshua? And they said, if you obey the law, you're going to be prosperous. Well, here in Isaiah says, look, if, your conviction, if you're not holding to your convictions, God's still going to love you. He still saves. But if your rigging is loose, and if you think that you're going to go faster by drilling holes in your, in your boat, and if your sails aren't adjusted to catch the wind of the Holy Spirit, then you're going to be broke. The... The bottom feeders, the weak, are going to take your stuff. Stick with your convictions. You know what they are. This church is going to stick with its convictions. We don't want to be poor. (laughs) Our church wants to be prosperous and successful. And we know that we need to stick with our convictions. We're not going to get it right. We're going to blow it. We're going to extend grace in every area of life. When we see a person that's blowing it, it is our opportunity to broker grace to them. That will save them. When we see an entire people group blowing it, it's our opportunity to forgive so that God can actually do its work in those people. We broker the grace. All right, band and ushers come to the front. I hope you guys saw it. David loved the law. Like it wasn't a heavy burden for him. He actually liked liked it. How many people work with kids? School teachers, Sunday school teachers? What happens if you don't give kids rules and boundaries? They go crazy. Uh, Pastor was, when he was a, when he was a kindergarten school teacher, he was involved in a study where they, they took the rules off the kids at the playground. And, and then two things happened. There were the wild Indians, like myself, who terrorized the playground. It's like Lord of the Flies. And then there was the insecure bunch that huddled in the middle of the playground and they didn't play. They just sat there in fear. Do you see why David loved the law? Do you see why you ought to love the law? You put some boundaries in your life. It it can't be all of them. Just pick one. Just pick one and love it, right? Don't don't view it as, I got to do this. And if I, if I don't do this, God's going to hate me. Don't do that. You pick, pick a law and love it. Cherish, cherish it. It's like tasty strawberries. That's David's secret. That's what separated him from Saul, who was stuck in religion. David learned the secret of relationship. He loved the scripture. He chewed on it. He ingested it. He lived it. He experienced the grace when he blew it. Administer grace. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this day. We love you. I pray that uh, we won't compromise on our convictions. We'll always extend grace, grace in every situation. We'll have the ability to love the unlovable and forgive those that don't deserve it. I pray that you will just change the way that we see your scriptures, that we can see them as life 
the, the things that we meditate on every day and every night that we enjoy. That the book will taste good to us. Oh, Lord, we love your presence. We love the manifestation of your, of your Holy Spirit, that it gets in, expressed in the healing of Richard. Confound those doctors, God. You break into that mountain. God, we, uh, we want more. We want more. We want our rigging to be tight and our sails trimmed. We want to be able to catch that Holy Spirit when it comes and not be stuck in the bay. God, we love you. Bless this week.